I, I don't. Uh, so my already weak voice is damaged. I'm damaged goods, but thank you for letting me be here. Uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew 14. It's on the back of the little piece of paper that you guys have, if you want to follow along. But let me read that for you now. Thank you. Thank you all for playing the music. I love being back here and singing with you all. It's a, a blessing, and you, you kind of ruined the sermon with some of the choices that you already made because <laughs> just giving all away. That's okay. Repetition is key. Um, from Matthew 14, starting in uh, verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. This is Jesus. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. In my church I say, this is the word of the Lord, and y'all can say, thanks be to God. Can we try that? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Makes me feel a little bit more at home. Um, I'm going to move this down a little bit so I can see the left side. I was sitting over there, but Lewis kicked me out. So... That's all right. Well, I, I am uh, Casey Clark. As Lewis said, I am with my wife, pastors. We uh, are over on Nelson Street. If you go west for like five miles, that's where my church is. Um, but I am so glad to be in a college worship environment. I did a campus crusade when I was at James Madison. And even though I'm in Rockbridge County, I don't expect anybody to say go Dukes because you're all in college right now and I'm not there. Um, but I love seeing what the, uh, the kids of today are up to. And I can call you kids because I am old now. Uh, like Lewis, I am old. I actually have at least one year on you, I think. Uh, like Lewis, I have lots of kids. I have at least one on you um, and, a, and a dog. I have five kids. Uh, there's a lot of commotion in my house. And so after a hectic day, which is every day, uh, just to know me better, one of the things that would relax me would be if my wife would take the kids for a bath and I could just do the dishes while I played Jeopardy with Alexa. Did you know that your Echoes can do that thing? Yes. I'm uh, kind, of kind of a nerd. I don't watch Jeopardy much now because five kids. Um, but when I only had one, I used to watch it a bunch when he was just a baby. We actually had my oldest son, Calvin, conditioned. Now, if you ever watch Jeopardy, they've got a lot of questions, but a few of them are the daily double, which can be worth more. And when that question is found, the music comes on, do, 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 do. And then what happens? People, you're nodding, you're, you know what's up. <laughs> People cheer, right, because the sign goes up. My son, who was one at the time, whenever he would hear, do, 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 he would just, wherever he was, 
he would start clapping. It was like a Pavlov thing. It was great. Uh, I, I love trivia. When I wasn't so old, um, there's another show that I think might still be on um, like the game show channel or something, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Now, I, I'm just a sucker for these shows, but what drove me mad about this one is how slow, how slow it was. Jeopardy, you get a lot of questions. In the millionaire show, I mean, it's multiple choice, and it just slogs on. But I, I still would watch. Uh, and the host would just incessantly ask you, when you finally decide A, B, C, or D, are you sure about that? How confident are you? Do you have any doubts? And then, is that your final answer? And it drove me nuts. Of course they had doubts. I mean, 2 plus 2 equals 4. I would have doubts about that question in that environment. If I'm on national TV being berated by the host with thousands of dollars on the line, I would have doubts. Also, just because doubt is a part of our lives. It's so normal that I think we can better remember the times in our lives where doubt is absent. When I, uh, when I was interviewing for my first job out of seminary, uh, I remember emailing a liaison, the head of this search committee, saying, before they told me anything, uh, I think I'm supposed to go to your, your church. I think that's where I'm supposed to be, which is kind of an awkward, uh, bold move. But I, I actually had this sense of God's voice, his, his clarity calling me to go there. Um, it worked out okay. That's where I, I was for eight years. Um, you know, we tend to remember those moments because so much more of life, so much more is defined by doubt. You know, did, I, did I just do the right thing? Did I choose the right path? Did I say the right thing? You know, even what am I going to order for lunch today? You know, I don't know, right? Spoiler for adult life, you will waste a ton of your time and energy just deciding what you're going to have for dinner. Like, when I decide what we're going to have on the menu, like do the grocery run, my wife just rejoices because that burden is lifted off of her shoulders. Um, you know, doubt is always with us. You know, are there things that you guys feel like you're always just kind of have that nagging doubt about, things that you can't shake it? And what sort of things do you, do you doubt about? Wish that you knew more firmly. How do we even use that word? You know, I doubt this class will be any trouble. I doubt it's going to rain tomorrow. We use the word pretty casually, right? But it can also be about very serious stuff. You know, maybe tonight you're sitting next to some girl that you wish you knew more about how she felt about you, but you doubt. See if anybody's face goes red. Don't actually look for people's... No, don't do that. Um, you might have doubts about yourself. We'll just move along. We'll move along. Don't, don't, don't dwell. You know, maybe you doubt your, your path. You know, what is your career lined up to be? Maybe you've got the next 10 steps lined out or somebody else lined it up for you, and you doubt. You say, can I, can I do that? Do you feel like an imposter sometimes that you're going to be found out, that you're not worthy to do those things? Doubts if your summer plans are right. Doubt of being here at W&L. Uh, or VMI? I'm going to take a guess. Yeah. <laughs> of course, you also have doubts about being, if being here is the right thing. Here at RUF, here in a community singing songs to Jesus because we doubt, is he real? Is God real? Is God good? Can we even know God? Today's passage, it, it deals with miracles in Jesus, but it deals with doubt. Doubt. And we just read it, but where are we? We're on a boat. Who's there? The disciples, but not yet Jesus. 
And what's going on? It's rough waters. A boat is being beaten by the waves. And then they, then they see. They see something they just couldn't believe. Jesus is walking towards them. Now let me pause there for a moment. We're in chapter 14. Just if we look at Matthew, what have the disciples already seen? At Jesus' baptism, there's a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. You don't see that every day. He heals those with various illnesses. He preaches to great crowds. He cures a leper. A centurion servant was paralyzed without even going to see this person. He just speaks, and they're made well. He heals Peter's mother-in-law with a fever, and you always want to score points with the in-laws, right? That was a big one for Peter. Maybe that's why he's doing what he does in our passage. Then you get scriptures like, Many who were sick were brought to him. And I just imagine Matthew with a cramp in his hand trying to catch all of what Jesus has done, just saying, all right, there's a bunch of stuff he just did. Move on. Jesus is not only some amazing doctor. Um, And Lewis, you're going to preach next time about the calming of the storm. He's got great power. Calms a storm. That's antonyms. You know, he brings peace to a chaotic sea. There's this girl who died, and Jesus goes to heal her. When he gets to to the house, People laugh at Jesus because Jesus says, guys, get out of here. She's just sleeping. They laugh at him. Haven't they heard of Jesus? I wonder if the disciples were like, guys, guys, I'll have you know, he just healed another person on the way to heal this girl. That's true. Really, the text begins with a guy saying, come, heal my daughter who's died. And in the middle of the paragraph, as Jesus is on his way, a woman comes to Jesus and is healed. He heals on the way to a healing. It's like a surgeon washing up for an operation, then performing an appendectomy in the hallway. Getting back to it, he heals the girl, brings her back to life, heals blind men, person who's mute, man with a withered hand, feeds 5,000 people with just a bit of fish and bread. And that's just halfway through one of the Gospels. How firm is their belief now? The body of evidence is overwhelming, right? I mean, who is on the fringes that's still a skeptic crying out, yeah, I saw that you healed or uh, fed 5,000, but, you know, come back to me when you've healed this guy and fed 6,000 people. Like, no, no one's just waiting for him to do one more thing. He has shown his power and his ability. I mean, how would you be feeling if you could, if you could see all of those things, if you were there firsthand? Well, how do the disciples react? We see it because that's what we read. It comes right after the 5,000 feeding. The disciples saw that. They were a part of it. They're handing out the bread. And right after that, they're in a boat. Jesus says, meet me. But in the midst of the waves, they see Jesus, and they can't believe. I mean, shouldn't they have said, oh, there goes Jesus again. Gosh, that Jesus. No, they still doubt. And what does that say about us, about them, about Doubt itself. Sometimes we wish, or I I won't even include you, sometimes I wish if I could have just been there, if I could have been there with Jesus, then I'd believe. We struggle and we say, if God would just do this sign, then I'd know. But the disciples were there. They saw the signs and they still doubt. Why? What does that say? I mean, is doubt a failing within us? 
Is doubt this intellectual thing a weakness? Y'all are at, at WNL and um, VMI, but it applies to you both, don't you worry. I assume that you are all studious, inquisitive, bright people, right? Yes. Yes, right, of course. That's what Lewis tells me. They're the most bright, inquisitive, studious people he's ever met. This class, bar none. Have you had any act, interaction, though, with people with that sort of idea about doubt, that it's this weakness? And if you have doubts, or you think, maybe you just are made to feel that if you have doubts, you should just cast that thing off. If you can't really 100% believe, it's not worth your time. Sometimes you'll hear people talk a bit like that, and then they, then they bring that to the point that says, well, this is why I just follow science, just the stuff that I can prove, see, touch, test, as though science was 100% of, of anything, um, even at the church. Maybe this was your experience growing up. You were bold enough to share with somebody that you had a question, that you had a doubt, and maybe you were told to shut up. I mean, not in so many words, but told to keep it to yourself. Get over it. Doubt has no place in church. I don't know, maybe that was your experience. I, I think sometimes we do see doubt as a failing, a weakness, a lacking we want sure things, safe bets. We hold out for more information to get the, the bigger picture, more clarity before we act. In big areas, sure, but even for stupid little things. I mean, when I was in college years ago, it was my pet peeve that friends would never tell each other what their plans were. Hey, what are you doing on Friday? You going over to Fred's house? I don't know. Maybe. We'll see what's going on. And I might show up. And like, they wanted to be certain that nothing else better was coming along, and they just wanted more information. Just, we hold out until certainty, and we can be driven to paralysis, to do nothing. Against these ideas about doubt, could, we, could there be, instead of reason that God gives room for us to doubt, to even doubt Him? Is there some way that we can see a purpose in doubt? I read last week some, someone saying that without doubt, there is no faith. You know, what do we think of that? When we see just about everyone in the Bible experience doubt. The Gospels are all about the disciples getting mixed up, messed up, and doubting Jesus start to finish even after the resurrection. Could there then be a reason, some, some redeeming aspect of doubt? I mean, track with me for a moment. Consider this. If God is real... If God is real, surely he could overcome our doubts, to overwhelm our doubts, right? So, so why doesn't he? In just a few chapters in Matthew, we have what's called the transfiguration. Jesus reveals himself to just a few in his full, radiant glory. Moses and Elijah stand with him. And it, it's overwhelming to the disciples. If that's possible, why doesn't he just walk around constantly like that, overwhelming everybody? Why doesn't God begin each day with some sky-written message to say, you know, good morning, I love you, I exist? You know, why? Think about this. Do you ever wonder why God doesn't reveal himself more? It's not because he can't. So is there some purpose in his revealing himself, but not entirely. And I think we can look at doubt then with some nuance, not necessarily the, 
the enemy. We don't want to linger there forever, but I think there's something that can come from it. So back in Matthew, what, what does happen if you're looking along? What, what results from the doubt? What's, what's learned from it? You know, the disciples, they're shocked to see Jesus. And then that wonderful guy, Peter, I love Peter, steps out. The disciples, Matthew say, are, are terrified. It's a ghost. And Jesus tries to calm them. And Peter says, it's you. If it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I mean, what a remarkable statement. Now, is it a statement of faith or of doubt? If it is you, if, that doesn't sound to me like 100% certainty, but that then part of the statement, command me to come to you, it's an amazing, amazing trust. And then Jesus just says one word, come, come. Peter steps out onto the water. So let's not dump on Peter in this text for sinking. I mean, the fact that he takes a step at all is remarkable. And what happens next? When he saw the wind, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand, took hold of him. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? If you've read this before, or maybe this is, this is great, and I can share this amazing text with you for the first time tonight, how do you hear that? How do you hear Jesus there? Is it a, I told you so, a scold? Or could he be saying it in a tender way? You know, why did you doubt, Peter? Why? Looking at the wind and the waves, don't you know I am here? And then they go into the boat. The wind stops. The disciples worship. Truly, you are the Son of God. In light of this text, you know, what do we make of doubt? It does cause Peter to sink. That's objectively not as good as not sinking. Um, I'm looking for a better word for that one. I don't think it exists. Um, but that wasn't the first time that doubt enters in. No. I think doubt was there the whole time. And what changes is he looks away from Jesus in the midst of the doubt. And so the solution, if we want to call it like something like that, the, to doubt wasn't to look inside. I think that's what the world will often tell you to do. If you've got doubts, uncertainties, just look within. Self-confidence. Believe in yourself. Look inside and figure out for yourself who you are, what you are, what you're about. It's very individualistic. You know, silence those doubters, those haters, those as though we need people that are doubting us from the outside. We've got enough self-doubt to spare. You know, as far as I can tell, the solution doesn't ever come from within us in Scripture. You know, and I don't have some apologetic three-step argument that's going to snap you out of doubt. Uh, but I was watching this thing from uh, Tim Keller. Whoop. I shouldn't step. I'm going to stay right here. It was adventurous. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor from New York City. He says that God didn't send some airtight argument. He sent an airtight person. I love that. He sends Jesus when Peter stumbles or splashes as, he, as his doubts rise up, it leads him to look back to Jesus, to turn, cry out, Lord, save me. So is doubt, is it the enemy? I mean, he did have so much reason to trust rather than to doubt, but what comes at the end of all of this? After he steps out in faith and stumbles in his weakness, he cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus does, immediately reaches out his hand and took hold of him. I am 
uh, not a strong swimmer. I certainly can't walk on water. Um, but if you and I were swimming in rough waters, or even in a swimming pool, really, and I, you started to sink and you called out to me, Casey, save me. May, maybe, I can hope that I might would try, but the result, no matter what, would be that we're both going down. Um, but Jesus is strong enough. He can walk on water, and he can lift up the sinking weight of Peter as well. He is enough in many ways. He's enough for both. You know, when we walk a path that ends in doubt, he can take us the rest of the way. And maybe he says those next words to us. Oh, you of little faith. Why, why did you doubt? You know I can sustain you. I can uphold you. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus upholds by the power of his words the entire universe. I mean, I think this is the result of doubting that can be good. Peter, in his doubts, comes out more firmly, not relying on Peter, but on Jesus. He turns to him for his salvation. And the final result from the doubt in this text is there is worship. Being met in our doubt, given opportunity to see God overcoming our limits, gives us more reason to worship and to praise him. Those in the boat who watched this are in Jesus and Peter, they get in, they say, truly, you're the Son of God. Now, will this be the end of doubt for them? Was this the final miracle that, that cured doubt in their wavering faith? Keep reading. It's, it's frustrating. They still stumble. But doubt leads them to look upon the face of the one who doesn't waver, who has no doubts about his plans for you. Who is enough for all of us? So I think there can be a way, if we don't just sit in it, that doubt can be a blessing. It's about what do we do next? Do we turn away and throw up our hands in, in defeat or turn to God? I mean, are we paralyzed by doubt or can we just take a step, even if it's a, if it's a trembling step? You know, I, I just recently read The Hobbit. I thought I had read it as a kid. Um, I'd read Lord of the Rings before it came out, um, but my son was going to read it, and so I read it with him. And then my daughter read it too, and she read it quicker than I did, and she's seven. So I was a little embarrassed by that. She's got focus. I do not. Um, it's a world of magic and adventure and danger, and in The Hobbit, the main character is a hobbit, a, a halfling, a short human-ish character named Bilbo, and Bilbo is the personification of doubt and second-guessing. He's hired to help steal a treasure from a giant dragon, but all the while he's doubting. He thinks, I'm an imposter. I can't do this. I lost track of the times in the book where Bilbo says to himself, oh, I wish I were back at home by the fire sipping tea. They run across trolls. Oh, I wish I was back at home. They come across goblins. I wish I was at home. They come across a damp night. What am I doing here? You know, it's just enough for him to doubt it all. And he could have just turned back. But on and on he goes. And although he's journeyed with a bunch of dwarves up to this point, they stop and let him go alone at that last bit on the doorstep of the dragon's lair, this castle, this keep kind of place. 
He's to go in through a secret tunnel into the dragon's horde alone. He's not gung-ho about this. He's not a one-dimensional picture of conviction and certainty and fearlessness. He has doubt, with very good reason. And there's this part in the book I want to read for you. It was on my mind because I just read it as a 35-year-old. Um, it was at this point that Bilbo stopped. Going on from there was the bravest thing he ever did. The tremendous things that happened afterwards was nothing compared to it. He fought the real battle in the tunnel alone before he ever saw the vast danger that lay in wait. There, there he is full of doubt and worry and fear. And what does he do? He's not single-minded. He's not doubtless. There's a battle. But he takes a step. He stops, he hesitates, and a battle rages on, and then he takes a step. He doesn't wait for doubt to disappear. He just takes one step after the next. And one step when facing doubt is an amazing victory. Let's not get down on Peter. He takes a step, an amazing step of faith. Yes, he has doubts, but that's what makes his one step incredible. It didn't end doubts for him. And whatever steps you take will not end doubts for you. You will not graduate beyond doubt. The true test is then, what do you do with it? Can you still believe? Will you at least take one step of faith? Not when you have no questions, but when you do. I mean, maybe this is your issue tonight, a difficulty believing and trying to take a step. Maybe it's going to come up next year. You may be in 10 years. Maybe you've got a great run of 10 years. Then you meet somebody. And they're not into some of the church things that maybe you're into now. And you guys kind of get a new routine. And you go on trips on the weekends because, you know, when else are you going to go on, on trips but on Sunday morning, right? Right? Unless you work there. You get married. You have kids. And eventually your kids grow up a little bit. And you kind of say, should we raise them in the church? Isn't that like a thing you're supposed to do? I hear this. I mean, this is like an actual thing that happens. You know, shouldn't I go back to church for my kids? But then the doubt comes in and you wonder, because you start to reflect, if it wasn't really that important for me to go, do I really believe? And you have doubts. You know, maybe your story is going to be really different from that. But what do you do? As a battle rages on, do you let the doubt take over, silence it, or ignore it? Or can doubt and questioning have a purpose to draw you in. I think doubt reminds us that we are human. Humans who can't do anything on our own. So when we hit a wall, when we doubt, we stop and we can look beyond for God. And like Peter, cry out to him. I don't know. I can't do it. I can't see. I can't save. I don't know if you feel like you've got permission to say those things. But you can. I can't do it. I don't know. Lord, help me. And he does. It's what Christ came to do. Doubt is just one more instance where God shows us his grace. How he is enough to cover our actions, our will, our faith when it's not enough. Our doubts are not too much for God.
Friends, I, I can't uh, assume to cover all of doubt in one night, um, to put away your doubts about doubt because they're going to be there forever. But know that um, one day, one day we won't have those doubts. Doubt is not eternal. Things will be clear and our faith will become sight. We'll get to join the disciples in seeing Jesus and praising Him. Until then, we're not going to be 100% certain on stuff. But I want you to hear that He is certain about you. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord God, we are, we are in awe of what you do, and we are so thankful, and we see again and again who you are, what you've done, and it's great news, and we are on the mountaintops, but then we, we come back down, and we doubt, and we lose sight. But remind us of the steadfast love that you have for us. When we falter and fail, you do not. God, we thank you for this opportunity to sing out even amidst doubt. Amen. Alrighty, y'all can stand and we'll sing one more song. Thank mm-hmm. you.